Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Hi, this is Ruben off the cheek. This is William. I'm Mason Mount. You're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. That's right, second episode of the week. Too much in the game against the Canaries to talk about, so we had to get back, do a little bit more, do a little bit of a deep dive into it. Brandon had commitments. He had to leave. Not dedicated, but Nick is here, and he is dedicated. Something called work. I don't even know. Um, It's really stupid. Yeah, I've heard of this before. He's right, just a but slacker. you know who, who, you know who did step up though. Wonderful super sub, Nazar Kinsella, back again for the second episode of the week. We are so overjoyed that you could spend a little bit more of your Sunday recording with us to to dive deeper into some of these tough questions. Yeah, just like you guys too much. That's obviously where it is. <laughs> Definitely, well, it's we, it's that. <laughs> We will repay it with a couple of rounds when we make it over to London in a couple weeks' time. So uh, you can you can book that one in there. I'm holding you to that. <laughs> All right. Well, before we dive into it, no new iTunes reviews or Patreon news because we are recording right after the first episode. But Nick, we do want to take 30 to 60 seconds just to remind everybody about the awesome discount codes going on from a few of our partners. That's right. If you could support us and these wonderful um, sponsors, that would be great. A quick rundown would be London Pod at um, the code London Pod at World Soccer Shop will get you 10% off your entire order. Uh, use that for free shipping or customization or to buy something extra. That's just on us. Uh, Talisman Caps, uh, code London Blue 10, good for 10% off $35 or more. A, a cap like the one Dan and I are wearing on the YouTube version of this is, uh, is what you could expect. Their quality, you should do that. And then finally, 
you're probably seeing it out there right now, but Classic Football Shirts having their sale of the year right now. Uh, we're here to support them. They've, they've supported us, and we're going to do some fun stuff with them in, in London as well, most likely. So uh, keep your eyes peeled for that. But, um, yeah, support them. They're great. We like working with them. The end. All right. So jumping in, part two, for those who are joining the podcast, maybe for the first time, is where we go a little bit deeper into the match, answer a few more questions, maybe some spillover from stuff we couldn't fit into part one. Uh, and then also questions that come from our Discord community, which is exclusive to our Patreon members. So before we get to their questions, though, we want, do want to take into conversation a little bit of the thoughts around hashtag Pulisic Watch. Obviously, we are the American Chelsea podcast. We do like to talk about our Captain America at Satman Dave, talking about Christian created two chances, one assist in the first half. Versus the Canaries, no other player on the pitch created more, looking dangerous when he's come central. Naz, the people on our podcast have heard us talk ad nauseum about Christian, so we feel like it's important to get an outsider perspective on him as we jump in a conversation on him. What were your thoughts about maybe Pulisic in this match and then kind of pulling back how you thought about how he's contributed so far for Chelsea? Yeah, well, in my opinion, I thought it was really dangerous. Um, you know, it's terrifying. Uh, Norwich, every time he's running at them, uh, obviously got the assist from Mason Mount's goal. And uh, that shows exactly what he's about. But I liked how he could sort of cut inside. Uh, you know, he doesn't always go around the back. Um, I quite like that he offers that kind of different threat. He's definitely the fastest Chelsea player in the forward line as well. So if Chelsea find themselves pinned back, they can always, you know, transition very quickly. And I think that's going to be important going forward. Um, he's definitely the, one of the main men already. Uh, and, you know, he's just 20 years old. You know, we talk about Mount being young. Obviously, Pulisic comes at a £58 million price tag, but um, he's got a lot of proving himself to do. Um, I think first half, he was absolutely brilliant um, in general, just a, a threat every time. Chelsea could get him on the ball and, um, you know, he counterattacks absolutely fantastically. Um, and he's going up against really good fullbacks. The best positions at Norwich are their fullbacks. Max Ahrens is fantastic. Um, and Jamal Lewis on the other side, great. Um, so, you know, it's not easy competition to co come up against. Um, I, feel, I still think, you know, more broadly with Pulisic, I think he's sort of, Every single game, he started very well, but he kind of fades. So he needs to kind of uh, get used to the pace of the game and kind of you know do do what he does, but for the whole match because he's clearly showing he's good enough for the Premier League, but he's not showing it enough uh, for me in a, a full ninety minutes. And um, so he can get better, um, and I think that's a lot down to the pace. You know, he's only playing a few games. With these guys, uh, they're all new to him. Um, he seems to fit in with the group really well on a social level. You know, he's he's taken really well to the young English guys. So he's hanging out in Mason Mount, Tammy Abraham, Fikayo Tamore. Uh, those guys all sit next to each other on the bus. It's pretty cool. Um, but, you know, in a playing point of view, that Chelsea needs to find the best way of using him and he needs to find the best way uh, to work with the players now. I think, you know, when he's been on the left, I thought he, he connects really well with Emerson. Um, those two, you know, playing one-twos together, getting round people, I think it's fantastic. Um, he played on the right this time, so it's a bit different. Um, and, he, you know, he kind of cut across, moved into different areas, which was very interesting to see against Norwich. Um, yeah, for me, you know, I'm not been... You know, he's, he, he, I've not been like totally convinced. I think, you know, he's not the finished article yet and he needs a lot more work, just like Abraham does as well. Um, so I'm very excited about Pulisic, but I want, well, I want to see more. And I think we will see more. Um, because it's just so early. It's so early to make big conclusions that anyone you'd speak to who's making grand statements about Pulisic being brilliant or rubbish or whatever, you can't do that right now. Oh, what a reason take about, <laughs> about where we are. I mean, like, 
I, I'm kind of the same way. I think Christian has shown spots where, you know, I've, I've really, you know, thought he was playing, you know, incredibly. I thought his, his performance in the Super Cup against Liverpool was great. Um, he clearly uh, gave uh, Robertson all he could handle and more. Um, I think his transition to the right side today against Norwich was really interesting um, because it kind of provided him a different uh, a different side to attack from. And you saw that his you know kind of second assist to his Piloqueta, um, you know he he drew in there you know the center back and and the uh, and the left back so that as Piloqueta had room in, to run behind. And you've seen a lot of crosses from his Piloqueta over the last three years get blocked because someone has always stayed out because the threat wasn't good enough to, to bring them together. So uh, I thought that was a, a really promising sign. His pass to Mount was obviously great and then mounted fantastic to finish it. Um, I, I knew when he came in that he was going to be more of an assist guy than a goal scorer, maybe out and out. He certainly has goals in his game, Dan, but um, I, I'm really pleased to see that his passing has been uh, so far on point. He definitely has offered uh plenty from an attacking perspective so far. I, I do think the point Naz has made about his conditioning and his ability to last a full 90 minutes is probably the biggest question that we have. You know, I think Big Nash, one of our uh, followers on Discord, was asking about the stamina piece and that you know he doesn't necessarily look like he's been able to impact or last the 90 minutes. And I, th- I think the contextual piece also, this guy basically took no time off from playing for Dortmund at the end of the season once he got healthy to heading into the um, U.S. men's national team to play a significant amount of minutes to getting right into Chelsea and playing from Japan forward and has been really relied upon with William not being healthy, Calum Hudson-Odoi not being healthy. And so there, there aren't necessarily a ton of options that Frank has had other than to trust the youth, trust Christian and, and play him and see what he's able to offer. And I think... Naz, what we're going to see is, is as he starts to contribute more, as he gets a chance to to build that or climatize appropriately with this team, you know, it, it may be the right side is where he ends up, you know, kind of as the Pedro and Pulisic are kind of the options there. William and Callum become the options on the left. And we see that type of partnership, maybe with that Naspilicueta or even a, a Reese James when he gets healthy, start to form that give him the opportunity to play a little bit more one-two on the right-hand side. Yeah, yeah, it could be. It's good to have that option that he can play either side. And I think that him and Callum Hudson-Odoi are probably the future of Chelsea. So um, we'll see. You know, I think Callum likes playing a left. Um, that's his favourite position, but he's absolutely fine on the right as well. Um, so yeah, they're, they're so technically gifted. I, I probably didn't. I probably underestimated Pulisic's technical ability. I think he's, um, you know, the, the way he controls the ball at speed is unbelievable, um, and you know his use of the ball is very tidy as well. Uh, you know, you know, usually with fast players, you kind of see that they give the ball away a little bit. Um, you know, Hazard maybe gave the ball away as well, or made the wrong decisions. But Pulisic doesn't really do that too much. He's very tidy as a winger, but. I'd kind of like to see him be a bit less tidy almost, be a bit more unpredictable, um, like Hazard was in sort of and that, that sort of makes you decisive because football's a game of deception, especially in the position of winger. Um so I want him to be able to take people on or, or choose different options, move on to his left foot, maybe take a shot on, sky it sometimes, sometimes hit the back of the net. Um I think that's where his game could improve. Um 
obviously Pulisic, we want to see him do well for Chelsea, but he wants to do well for himself as well. Um, how good can this guy be? Um, he's also got Hudson-Odoi coming through. He wants to be better than Hudson-Odoi. I'm sure he does. Um, and Hudson-Odoi is a huge threat. Who's going to be the star of this team? Maybe they both can be, but um, there, there's going to be one of them is going to start really shining and taking the spotlight away from the other. Um, and that's going to be fascinating later on in the season to see who... Who's the main man? Um, I think that you know a lot of US guys will focus on Pulisic. A lot of English guys will focus on Hudson Odoi. They're, they're the most exciting talents from each country, really. Yeah, I was I was going to add to that. I think as I've watched Pulisic play for the national team, and he's obviously still very young, um, but I think his when he really turned it on in the last World Cup qualifying cycle, that was you know infamously uh, terrible from an ending standpoint. Um, it was when he felt a sense of leadership and, you know, he was the, you know, the, our best player throughout that stretch. And so, you know, if he has a couple of, of really good results, you know, he, he scores a couple of goals, he has a couple of assists. Um, and, and that to me, you know, I think he'll turn it on from a leadership standpoint. He's not the most outspoken guy. He's not a rah-rah guy, but I think from a just leading um, by what he he does on the pitch, um, I think I want to see him get there for this team, and that might not be this season. Um, it it could be a little ways out, but uh, I know from watching him play for the the U.S. men's national team that when he has that kind of responsibility, he usually rises to the occasion. So I, I see in here as we transition, Nick, that you put an extra note about Tammy versus Giroux, and you were talking about it before he jumped into recording that you wanted to. Go a little mano a mano, a little toe to toe with Naz on this conversation, kind of stemming out of our first part one, which you haven't listened to. Go back and hit that up about Tammy versus Giroux in the starting lineup or their contribution. Like you, you leave this off. You put a note, and there's no additional context. Um, yeah, well, I, I think Naz made some really good points in, in part one about you know the style in which Tammy brings to the front line and how it may be more. Um, beneficial than than the type of typical hold-up interchange striker that Giroux is. Um, you know, my thought all along has been that Giroux has a huge role to play in this team. Um, and it's not because, you know, in the first couple of games that Tammy wasn't scoring or whatever. I just think uh, bringing people into the attack is something that we still need to do um, a little bit reminiscent of last season. I think he is a wonderful hold-up striker, that, that being Giroud. I think he has a, a really good pass in him, and clearly, you know, given his Europa League performances last year um, on the continent, you know, he can still, you know, bang in the goals. So just wanted to throw that out there, Naz, as you were kind of talking about Tammy style being a little bit more get in behind, a little bit, maybe a little bit quicker. Um, he scores different types of goals. I think... Both of these guys, you know, I, I kind of favor Giroud right now, but both of these guys have a, a role to play. Yeah, well, let's let's be let's talk about Giroud quickly first. Just you know, we know what he's all about. He's a you know, like you said, hold the ball up striker, World Cup winner, Europa League winner, massive player of Chelsea last season. But problem is, he doesn't score enough goals. That's that's the that's the, always going to be his problem every single time. Now he won the World Cup with France. And he had a team where he had Antoine Griezmann, Paul Pogba. Um, there was goals from the wings. There's goals from everywhere. 
Um, and that's fine when you're France, but when you're Chelsea, you need your strike to score goals because uh, there's not enough goals from the wings. There's not enough goals from midfield. Now, Lampard is searching for those players to do that. Mason Mount is one of them. Um, but Mason Mount's not ready. He's not He's not Antoine Griezmann. Now, he will score goals. And I think he'll be Chelsea's top scorer, actually, Mason Mount this season. Um, possibly one of the Whoa. top scorers anyway. That's my opinion. Um, but yeah, I think that, you know, Tammy, you know, he will score more goals. And that's that's a big thing. Um uh, and it's, it's the what Chelsea need right now as a striker that gets those goals. But, um, you know, you look at Derby County last season under Frank Lampard and they had Jack Marriott up front. Um, he's a, you know, very pacey striker, running behind, um, you know, constantly threatened the centre-backs with his running. Also, you've got this pressing game where um, you, you go in numbers. So they'll, they'll, they'll try to trap a player out who's not very technically gifted in the opposition lineup and try to steal a ball off him. We saw Mason Mount steal a ball off Ndidi against Leicester and score the goal. Um, so that's exactly what Chelsea want to do. And I think Abraham is better at that than Olivier Giroud just because he can get across the pitch better. Um, and I think that, you know, you'll see, I think you'll see Abraham playing actually the bigger games. So he played against Man United when Olivier Giroud could have played. Um, and, you know, Giroud came in in the Super Cup, but um, the Premier League is bigger than the Super Cup. So uh, I think that this is what we're going to see. Maybe, maybe you'll see Giroud play against teams that, you know, have their backs to the walls because um, it's good to have a big striker with great hold-up play um, when you're playing against somebody like Sheffield United maybe next week who are not going to be very good in possession. Um, Chelsea should have them pegged back for most of the game in their own half. Um, but, you know, you're looking at Norwich and Chelsea expected Norwich to hurt them, and they did. Um, and Tammy Abraham's better to sort of be that counter-attacking player, but also to be a player when you, you know, you're making quick transitions to, to sort of find a ball over the top when there's a bit more space to play with. Um, and that's what the difference is. Um, I, th- I really like Tammy Abraham. Um, the only the only question mark is, can he do it at this level? And if he can, I think he'll beat Giroud. But we know Giroud can do it in the Premier League level. But can Tammy Abraham? Yes, he showed that against Norwich. Now he just needs to keep showing that. And I think he'll win the battle. I think he'll win. Well, and that's kind of my point is, you know, given that there's a lot of growth that needs to happen from every Chelsea player this year, not just not just the the kind of youth, as we've affectionately termed them. Um, I think Giroud still has a major point to play, right? I think when we're away at Man City, I don't know if that's the right game yet for Tammy. And it very well could be. It's not to say that he he's not going to step up to the occasion. But I think there are going to be big points, big inflection points in this season where we trust the steady hand of a, an, an Olivier Giroud, at least for this season, um, a guy who we know is is defensively solid, who's going to be kind of the first man if we have to go zonal marking for whatever god-awful reason. Um, and we know that he's going to hold the ball up, bring other people into attack. And if you trust the speed of Pulisic, if you trust the speed of Callum Hudson-Odoi and the finishing ability there, if you trust Mason Mount, then he almost serves as a conduit for those three players uh, to really get into the game and provide a threat. And and right now, I mean, only only seeing one game where, where Tammy scored the goals and had really good hold-up play, Dan, I'm not 100% sure... Um, if that's Tammy's, you know, pure role right now. Well, we'll get you onto the the Tam Tam train. Don't worry. Like he's gonna convince you. He's gonna come good. I, Again, I'm excited when he does. I am. I, uh, <laughs> I I I think that the point that Naz made, and it's how I feel about it, is that Tammy is the one who's gonna be able to make those dynamic runs. He's the one when you know Mason is pushing forward as almost that that second striker, kind of putting as like a top two and really trying to force the ball over. I have a greater 
trust in Tammy's ability to go cut through the, the center back pairing and to make himself available to score a goal versus Giroux, who takes a little bit of time to get up to top speed. Um, at putting it as nicely as possible. So <laughs> I, I think that's where, you know, if we're going to move quick, if we're going to play as quickly as possible, if we want to make, you know, decisive passes straight ahead and look to turn those into goals, that's where I don't see Giroux as being an individual that I trust to help execute that vision of play on the pitch. And I think that's where my concern would be about trusting Giroux in the Premier League, where we know that we're going to need 70 plus goals if we want to keep a top four spot to go back in the Champions League next season, regardless of what happens in the Champions League or in other competitions this year. I think Giroud will play a part. I think the the other crazy thing is we're also not talking about Mishinaz. And you know, obviously he had a good start in the midweek and you got a chance to see him play for the dev squad uh, last week. Where do you see him kind of falling into all this? Because it seems like he's the one who maybe is on the outside looking in. And, you know, that's not where I imagine he would want to be at this point in his career either. No, you're absolutely right. Let's let's be honest here. Um, Mitchie's the third choice striker right now. Um, things can change. That's fine. Um, it's a difficult situation to be in for any striker. Um, Mitchie's the best finisher probably out of all of them, I think. Uh, just a pure natural finisher. And I know a lot of people want to see a pure natural finisher up front for Chelsea. And I think that's what Chelsea are lacking. Um, but there's a reason why managers keep not picking him um, now. You could say that maybe Conte's crazy, Sari's crazy, Lampard's crazy, but it's been like successive managers that have uh, uh, thinks that Mitchy is falling short in a certain area, even when compared to a, a striker who played in the Championship last season in Tammy Abraham. And now, what is what is wrong with what is wrong with Mitchy? Why don't they start this great finisher um, who's kind of done it for Dortmund and stuff? And I think it's because. His, his, his ability to hold up the ball is not good enough. His, his ability to carry out tactics isn't good enough. I think, you know, when I speak to um, various Belgian journalists, they say that, you know, managers don't feel like he applies himself well enough to the tactical side of the game. Now, physically, you look at him and he's ripped. He's, he's in great shape. Um, he's a great finisher. Um, and he can be a great asset off the bench. And that's what, you know, when Chelsea won the league, uh, Mitchie had a huge contribution off the bench, and I'm not saying he's a bad player by any means. He's great um, and helped Chelsea win the league, scored the winning goal for the um, West Brom game, which you guys are probably going crazy, swinging Chelsea scars around, chugging uh, <laughs> beers left, right, and centre. Now, every Chelsea fan will love Mitchie forever for that moment. Um, but you know, he needs to show more to make it this top level. Uh, he's got so much to prove. So, so many other guys. Um, now he needs to show that he can hold up the ball, that he can understand Lampard's style of play. And for me, this is a make or break season for Mitchie, for Giroud as well. Like, will he stay at Chelsea much longer? Um, this season, he's got to prove that. And, you know, he doesn't need to prove anything as a striker because he's achieved so much. But to stay at Chelsea, maybe he does. Uh, for Tammy Abraham, he needs to prove himself. And so, you know, so does Mitchie. Um, now, I feel like. Mitchy will get some cup games. Um, when it's two games a week, he'll get a, a few chances here and there. And he absolutely has to take every chance. He's got the hardest point to prove out of everyone. He's finding it the most difficult so far. Um, and I think, you know, he might leave Chelsea in January if he doesn't prove himself. So um, this is his last chance. Um, none of us know how it's going to go. Dortmund showed he could do it, but there's been many also failed experiments, um, you know, with Chelsea and on loan as well. So, um this is the last chance to make it probably at the top level maybe ever. So um, it's a big season for him. And uh, yeah, he's, the transfer ban helps him. Well, 
Make sure you hit us up with your thoughts, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, Discord channel, thinking about where the battle stands between Tammy, Drew, Mishi, Naz versus Nick, all the hot debates going on. But let's transition a little bit to some of the midfield conversations. So CTX Blues fan, uh, Tim Bakery, both asking questions about the midfield. So, you know, Obviously, we've waited for RLC to come back on the pitch. We also have Conte, who missed this game. You know, do we see Nick, or where do you kind of land when it comes to what's the what's the pairing or what's the perfect midfield going to be? Um, maybe post the uh, the international break, right? Because we have one game left uh, before that. We we'll get a break. We'll get to come back. That means everybody should be back to full fitness and available for selection. How are you feeling about our midfield right now, and and what's the perfect combination and selection oh i mean that's a really good question i you know <laughs> I, I think if if ruben's healthy you know we kind of talked about this a little bit last week if ruben's healthy he'd be playing in a midfield three almost almost guaranteed i think he is so dynamic and we really started to see kind of what he has to bring um to this team at the end of last season uh, now obviously his injury in the um in the final whistle on hate was uh, was just brutal for this team uh, because it did take away a key cog in that midfield wheel. Um, but you know, I think N'Golo Conte is an automatic if he's healthy. I think uh, Jorginho has has so far this season been playing you know pretty well, and I think you know based on the uh, exercise against Norwich, um, Naz that Kovacic is is making his claim as well to to play in this team. As far as depth goes, I'm not sure that Barkley is as good in a midfield three as he is in that number 10 role. And I, I know based on Frank Lampard's derby that Mason Mount can drop back into a midfield three and, and play as one of those. So maybe the, the solution is that um, that Mount drops in if we're really hurting for depth instead of playing out on the left wing, uh, assuming that Callum's healthy or something like that. So I think there's a lot of different combinations, but we clearly don't have the depth uh, without Ruben and without Ingolo that we'd prefer. No, I think I think the depth's okay, you know. Um if you're thinking that Mount could drop in, Barkley does a decent job there, Kovacic, Kante, Jorginho. I mean, I think that a lot of teams would be very, very jealous of that. I know Man United would be jealous of that, absolutely. Um Arsenal would definitely be jealous of Chelsea's depth in midfield. So um maybe not Man City, but you know, when you're talking about the some of the other top six teams, that absolutely it's they're great players. Um I think that you know, I think Lampard's starting to believe in four-three-three. Like a lot of people missed that Frank Lampard played four-three-three, and uh, not only against Liverpool but also against Leicester. Now, I think that we all got our kind of team lineup graphics wrong and stuff. Uh, all of us in the media, uh, but you know, when you looked at the game, it was Mount on the left and it was Kante on the right of Jorginho, and it was very similar to Sari's way of playing with the the two sort of uh, left and right side of midfielders pressing very high up the pitch. Uh, I found that very interesting. Now, Mount is so capable in so many positions like we said in the last pod um left wing he played great um you know the fact he moved to position at the last minute did great there number 10 he's absolutely comfortable as a number 10 which is a very difficult position to play in um and then you've got him you know comfortable in the left midfield road uh, role particularly which i think that we'll see him play there a lot but i think ruben will be undeniable when he comes back absolutely uh, as long as he comes back in decent shape uh, ruben is a star. I think he's probably better than Ross Barkley in the in, in the long run. And I think Ross Barkley is a very decent player. And I agree with Nick as well that 
he's a great number 10. I think that's his best role. Um, I think that maybe, you know, we're going to see guys sink or swim in the midfield as well. Um, I think Jorginho is loved by uh, Frank Lampard and I think he's done quite well uh, to begin the season. And, and Kovacic had a, arguably a man of the match performance against Norwich. So I think competition is there. And I think that's important because I think Kante is struggling for fitness right now. And I think that might be a trend we see, especially if, um, you know, he becomes... Uh, he, he stays like uh, such an important part of not only Chelsea's team but France's team um, so um, Ch- Lampard's going to have to find a way to drop Kante leave him out uh, just from time to time to give him a rest because I think he needs a rest this season he's played four years in a row uh, summer tournaments so many games this guy needs a rest um, he's human after all um, we're seeing the first injury problems he's ever had in his career um, and I just hope that Chelsea don't run him into the ground. We saw Liverpool running Fernando Torres into the ground a few years back. I think Alexis Sanchez has been run into the ground over the years. Um, and it can really hurt a player in the long run. So you do need to protect your superstars. And N'Golo Gante is the superstar. And I think Chelsea's midfield depth is going to be very important to protect Kante's long-term future. And he's a huge asset for Chelsea. Well, really quick, Dan, Jorginho also has a ton of miles on him uh, as well. I mean, the, both of these guys have, you know, played so many minutes that we need to develop, you know, kind of backups for, for them in case of injury, right? Yeah, I definitely think that we, you know, the the benefit of having a Kovacic is that he really can deputize both for Conte and for Jorginho. I mean, we saw him have the opportunity to do both. You know, we're seeing a little bit more of that clinical forward passing from him, maybe not some of the same over-the-top balls that Jorginho has been able to provide, but... I do think, you know, whether it's it's going to be a challenge to get all of the best players on the pitch for Chelsea when everybody is healthy. And that is a a great problem to have for Frank Lampard to have a selection headache would be a very positive thing, because right now there's not as much of a headache when you can't pick N'Golo Kante, when you can't consider Rudiger as an option, when Mishi is not integrated enough to, to be a consideration within that first team squad, you know, when Callum is back healthy, like Frank is going to have selection problems. And that is a very, very positive thing because it's going to be difficult to pick between Mount, Ruben, Conte, Jorginho, Kovacic. Like that's going to start to cause a real problem. And maybe you see that, that diamond four where, you know, Jorginho is at the base, you get Kovacic and Ruben, and then you get Mount at top. And so there's going to be a lot of flexibility. It's going to be trying to figure out what's the best system to put the best, you know, 10 um, players on the pitch that aren't named Kepa on, you know, in the attack and moving the ball forward appropriately who can handle the high press. So I definitely understand where everybody's coming at. I think we, uh, you know, we definitely want to hear what your thoughts are. You know, do you think there's going to be some rotation? Do you think there's going to be some massive changes when it comes to midfield? Everybody's healthy. And when everybody's healthy, who do you think that starting midfield grouping or pairing is? So tweet at us, Instagram, Facebook, Discord. We'd love to talk about it more. We're going to take a very, very quick break, and we'll be right back after that to talk about substitutions, to talk about William, talk about the defense, talking about uh, the Mbappe fund that we've been affectionately calling it, Nick. But quick break. We'll be right back. All right. Quick break. Done. Dusted. Over. Now we're talking about substitutions. So there has been some thought. Uh, We got a question from Nikhil on our Discord server saying, are we getting our substitutions correct? What's worse in your opinion, tired legs or constant mistakes? My question should be, is should we have not taken off Barkley instead of Pulisic or Tammy? So, 
Nick, as you're kind of looking at that, how are you feeling about the substitutions that Frank has been making over the past couple of games? A lot of it feels forced in my mind, but I'd love to hear how you're thinking about uh, maybe just the Norwich match and then the kind of you know, comprehensively about subs from Frank. Yeah, I think there was probably a couple of pieces on this. Um, first being that I think Frank's options are are relatively limited due to kind of health and, um, you know, just overall you know early part of the season. Um, so anyway, I, I think that's kind of one piece of it. The other piece is that I think his subs have been relatively surprising. I mean, we got such uh, into a rhythm last year with um, – uh, with, with Mauricio Kovacic Sarri. for Barkley, Barkley for Kovacic. <laughs> exactly. Um, that we kind of knew what was coming, you know, before it actually happened. Naz, so that that's kind of an interesting piece to me. There have been games where I thought Pedro, you know, should have been the first sub based on, you know, his, you know, just not playing as well or, or looked leggy or looked injured. And he's lasted the full 90, you know, N'Golo Conte lasting the full 90 after playing 120 minutes against Liverpool midweek was really interesting. I, I don't know if there's necessarily a, a rhyme or reason yet to the subs. Um, you know, I think the Tammy for Giroud made, uh, or Giroud for Tammy made sense yesterday because Tammy was kind of fading. But, um, yeah, it's been kind of interesting to see his, his pattern. Yeah, he's definitely more tactically, um, you know, flexible than Maurizio Sarri. So, um, you know, it, it all begins with the training ground, really, substitutions, because he's got all these different systems he can use now. He's not Maurizio Sarri, so he can play 4-2-3-1. He can play a midfield diamond. He can play 4-3-3. Um, that massively changes how you use the players. And, um, yeah, it makes it, you know, makes the choices different. You know, Sarri would do one for one. Georgine, I mean, like uh, Barkley for Kovacic. That's because he, he he's just slotting guys into roles. They know exactly what they're going to do and they do it. But, uh, you know, Lampard will look at the opposition and he'll say, oh, I need this right now. And people can't really guess what he's going to do because, you know, guessing Lampard's lineups are a nightmare now. Um, you just can't do it um, because he's seeing things that we don't see as well. He's a you know a great coach um, and he can, you know, he, he's looking at what the opposition do and that, that dictates. Um, now, have I been critical of Lampard's substitutions? Not really. Nothing too strange for me. Um, you know, he usually brings on a striker if he needs a goal. Um, he's called upon Willian when he was chasing the game against uh, Leicester. It was a bit too uh, gung-ho for me, a bit crazy the way the game went. Um, I think Willian probably isn't up to speed at all yet and maybe even tactically doesn't really know what he's doing in the system uh, but Lampard turned to him in that, that case um, and yeah I think that Frank's very uh, pragmatic though he's, he's kind of you know when he's chasing a game he goes for it he really will go for it because he, he'd rather lose a game you almost feel than draw um, he'd rather lose a game and really go for the win um, I think that's the Chelsea mentality and I think that's what fans want to see they don't want to see a guy conservative like resting on his laurels um, so I think that's going to be quite exciting for Chelsea fans this season maybe it's not going to work out maybe he's going to go too crazy maybe he's going to push too hard but Chelsea will push and they will have the, the desire and passion and they'll fight for every point and they'll fight for more even if they're struggling in a game they'll fight to win um, and I think that we're going to see really exciting substitutions like that but yeah I think you know we'll see more we'll see more when he's got more options like you said it's not been great for him and um yeah, let's like see what he does with Mitchy. See if he goes to a front two at any point. It'd be interesting to see if he if he can win a game by uh, you know a tactical swing like that. That could be a huge change for a team to defend against two strikers instead of one. We saw it in preseason, um, and it's quite exciting to see uh, a manager willing to take those risks. But um, yeah, 
I think um, we're going to see all these kind of things develop. And I think, you know, you know with Pulisic coming off, I think one of your uh, listeners was complaining about that. But, yeah, I think that's a conditioning issue. Um, yeah, you know, we've seen that he's not lasting the games very well or at least not sustaining the level. You know, he has a great first half and doesn't sustain. And I think that we'll see Pulisic complete more 90 minutes as the season goes on. Yeah, he's he's burned bright, Dan, to start, um, but maybe burned a little too bright um, where, where the uh, the... Uh, endurance isn't quite Premier League uh, level yet. I definitely think that's uh, you know going again going to be a conditioning situation. I think you know again one of uh, uh, the other questions we got from was Harry kind of asking about Pedro being replaced by Barkley instead of Willian. I, again, I think that comes down to a conditioning issue as well. Is that Willian has only gotten a short number of minutes so far because he came in after preseason was effectively done so he is trying to get up to speed i don't think we'll see him start a match until after the international break it just wouldn't make sense for me to play him in a starting position next week unless you know unless you know mount is unavailable because what we saw in this match with pulisic and mount is that they're capable of playing in that front three effectively getting us goals and you know we should have hopefully a better better chance to, to get Sheffield than we did against, uh, you know, it might be a little bit more conservative than uh, what we saw with Norwich. So I, I think ultimately it really is going to be about how healthy can we get these guys. And when they are healthy enough, the real question is going to be is, is who forces the, the conversation, who makes it really Nick, the makes their case with their opportunity. And, and William's going to have to do that as well. William Callum, when he's healthy, Pulisic, Pedro, Mount, Barkley. I mean, those were all front three options, you know, behind a, a behind a striker that, you know, I think are, are going to be battling. And, you know, based off of what we saw, you know, from, from William in the last match and even, even in his, like, brief substitute appearance against Norwich, I, you know, he's going to have to really go and earn that number 10 shirt this year. I mean, it's it's not just there to be had. I think, you know, there's a lot of matches to be fair and and you're going to have to play a lot of different combinations of of those players to to make it through a season that's admittedly going to be incredibly difficult but i mean you're going to have to you know if you want to start in the premier league week in and week out you're going to have to prove it and i'm excited to see who kind of rises to the occasion definitely interesting about the we talk a lot about the number 9 shirt but the number 10 shirt this season is going to have a lot of added weight that comes with it, Naz. You know, how are you feeling? Just what you've seen with with William so far. I mean, I, I do think it's a little too early to judge him due to conditioning. But how are you feeling about him rising to that shirt in in this season? From you know, what past seasons have looked like for William? Yeah, I think based on the past, I think getting lots of goals is beyond him. Um, you know, maybe he can get a ten goal season. Fifteen uh, would be probably be his best record. You know, in all competitions. So. Um, don't expect a hazard number of goals. Uh, he can't. He won't get to twenty. It's not. It's not uh, possible. Um, can he contribute? Yes. Obviously, he's a great counter-attacking player. Great energy. But yeah, yeah he's he was terrible against Leicester. Absolutely panned by certain sections of fans. Uh, we've come to expect it, really. Um, but you know, he's he's a likable guy. Big personality. Uh, very positive. Um, you know, he might. It might be a transition year for him to bring Callum through, uh, who's just coming back from injury, still very young, only 18 years old. So 
that might be what his season represents. Um, and if it does represent that, then it's fine. He's had a great career for Chelsea um, and he, everyone should be thankful of what he's contributed down the years. He's been good. Um, now, what Willian's problem is, this is a problem for all the wingers. Can they score enough goals? You know, they're dangling the carrot saying Eden Hazard's left. Somebody get the goals from wide areas um, and somebody needs to step up and do that because we don't think the strikers are going to get a huge amount of goals. Even if Abraham really fires... Um, 20 goals would be an unbelievable season for Abraham um, and that, that means that another maybe a winger needs to get 20 goals um, and it's going to be very hard for any of them I don't even see Pedro getting 20 goals and he's a great finisher um, I think Pedro does so much defensive work that he doesn't score enough um, he's just such a hard working player absolutely battles for everything um, but he needs to give a little bit more in behind a bit more focus on his running um, because you know I think that that almost takes away energy from his attacking point perspective. Um, and I think I think that somebody needs to step up. And the number 10 shirt that we thought Callum might take it um, and he might be the guy who emerges as number 10 next season. Um, and if he scores, he's almost got the highest goal potential for me. Um, looking at him last season when he did play, he didn't play a lot. Uh, but when he did play, I was like, this guy is dangerous every time. Uh, Finishing is pretty good as well um, and gets assists. So, think that he might emerge as the winger, the real number 10 almost, who, who sort of contributes the goals that Chelsea really need. All right. Well, let's flip the script a little bit and talk about defense. With Waz asking the question, is the solution to our problems at the back as simple as getting Rudiger and Reese back healthy? And I think, Nick, it is probably more than just that, but there is some excitement about getting to see Reese James fight for a spot, as Plaqueta mentioned him this, this past week, and then Rudiger also getting healthy is another a positive, but I, I don't necessarily think it's enough, but you can correct me if I'm wrong. We haven't seen Reese James play a senior match for Chelsea. I mean, I, 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 I'm really excited for him. I think that he will bring uh, a lot of speed and tenacity. I mean, if you watched any of his highlights from Wigan last year, he was, he was their man of the match, you know, very, you know, very frequently. And I think he, you know, will bring a lot to that position, especially in terms of competition for Espelicueta. But, I mean, it's I think it's it's just kind of a little too much too soon for a guy who we haven't seen suit up for, for the club yet. So that's kind of point one. Point two is that Rudiger, um, while I think probably our most stable defender last season in, in a season that surprisingly we didn't actually give up that many goals, I think is coming back hungry and and you know, seeing kind of some off and on solid performances from either Christensen or Zuma and thinking that he can probably cement himself as a, a starter, potential captain material in the future. And I think he's probably hungry for it. And we've seen him do it uh, in a Chelsea shirt. So uh, I don't think these are the only two pieces of the puzzle, Naz. I think it's a system that needs to be refined and practiced and uh, you know that the midfield needs to gel with the defense more than they have in the early going, but um, I think those two additions probably don't hurt. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think one of the biggest misconceptions you I kind of read online is that people think that one defensive change can you know make a team defend way way better on a huge differently hugely different level. Um, that defending's an individual task when it's not. It's a team. You know, it's a team sport, especially in the defensive phase. It's a, it's a case of structure. It's a case of tactics. Um, and we've seen problems with Chelsea so far in those areas. So um, I think that some of the players have been harshly panned for the defensive performances. But yeah, when it, when it comes to the changes, I think obviously Rudiger 
I think Rudiger's got the highest pedigree of all the centre-backs that Chelsea currently has, but Rudiger's still not a world-class player. Um, he's still not as good as uh, Virgil van Dijk. He's never proven himself at that level. He's never proven himself at Laporte's level. Um, so he's got another level to reach. Um, now he needs to push on. He needs to you know, take the take the experience that he's got and show people that he can command this defence that, you know, Chelsea defence doesn't have a lot of experience, especially if you're talking about dropping Aspley Quetta, which, um, you know, a lot of fans are. Um, I know Reese James is hugely popular fan base. It's great. Um, we're all really excited about him. So young, um, unbelievable season Wigan, um, absolutely sensational. But um, when we're talking about this Chelsea squad and you're looking at the players, looking down the list of all 25 players in the squad, Reese James is the least experienced by far. Um, Reese James has played at the lowest level out of all of them. Um, Derby County got in the playoffs last season. Wigan barely survived in the championship. That's um, a huge difference. Uh, Wigan Athletic is a, a really small club, really, uh, especially at the moment. Um, so um, those achievements are massive, but this is, this is going to be a massive step up. Um, talent, Reese James has got it, but... Um, we expect him to need some, you know, time to adapt, to bed in, and uh, to get up to the pace. You know, looking at Christian Pulisic struggling to adapt from playing from Bundesliga and Champions League, and he's still struggling to adapt to the Premier League pace. So, um, Reese James is going to have that. Um, physically, he's great, um, but he's also coming back from injury as well. So, um, look, we're really excited about Reese, but I think some of the hype's been over the top. It also means that. Other players aren't getting enough hype as well. You know, Fikayo Tamore, he's a very talented player as well. Um, he's got he's played at a high level than Reese James and he was player of the year at Derby County, which was a better club than Wigan by a long shot. So, um, yeah, it's great that he's got a shot. And I, I'm, I was really not a fan of Zappa Costa, to be honest. Um, not that I don't like him, not that I don't like him as a person or I think there's something wrong with him. I just think that it was a panic buy and that he didn't really play that well for Chelsea. I think his best game was probably against Eintracht Frankfurt off the bench last season, um, which shocked, shocked us all. Um, so Reese James deserves a chance, deserves a chance to develop. He'll be a huge asset to Chelsea potentially. Um, I know England are looking at him as well. So he's on Gareth Southgate's radar, just like Mason Mount is, and just like uh, Tamori is, and just like um, you know uh, Tammy Abraham, who's all, already played for England. So um, yeah, I think that he's not going to be a game changer straight away. But you know, if, if you're talking maybe in April, maybe in April, um, Reese James has wrestled that shirt off Aspley Quetta, but. I don't expect him to wrestle it off him in uh, September, October. No way. Um, you know, let's get him in the cup games. Let's see him play some easy games at first, and and then you know we'll see what he's really made of. Quick heads up for everybody. Dan's audio broke a little bit here, so just jumping in to pose up the question. Essentially, Dan is trying to say that Chelsea has saved a lot of money. So what are we going to do with it? Might give us enough money to go out and buy Mbappe if we wanted to. Does it happen? We don't know, but we've been joking about it. And Will was asking, maybe instead of an Mbappe fund, should we talk about a Koulibaly fund, Nick? And uh, maybe with his age and the fact that we will probably never have a good deal with Napoli again, probably isn't going to happen. But in terms of what Naz just said about Rudiger, best pedigree, but he's also not a Virgil van Dijk, is that center back area one of the ones that if you had the money right now that you would prioritize for Chelsea? Yeah, I mean, I, you look at the midfield, you look at the wingers. Um, I think we're, I think we're doing okay there. Once everybody's healthy, I think we have a, you know, some real quality in there. I think it's striker, and probably, you know, if there's a Van Dyke esque player out there at center back that is, you know, going to completely change the makeup of your, 
uh, of your defensive structure, then, then yeah, I would also highly consider that. And it's not to say that, you know, Zuma or Christensen or Tamori or Rudiger can't, can't raise themselves to that level, but there is a, you know, a pretty significant difference to when Liverpool started to really achieve something. And that's when, you know, Van Dyke came into the side and then obviously they developed, you know, much like we're doing with some of our young players, they developed Robertson and, and Trent Alexander Arnold alongside of him. Uh, so I, I think there is a, a possibility that that could be the play. Um, you know, certainly I'm, I'm a little bit more worried about striker right now, personally, Naz, but uh, I think uh, I think a, a top quality A plus defender would uh, would also very much interest me. Yeah, th- those are probably the areas that they might look to. But I think yeah, this season is a case of prove you've you know you got a transfer ban. Prove yourself. Prove prove that I don't need to make that signing. Prove prove me wrong. Um, I think you know Christensen. I always saw him as a as a player that was world, potentially world class as well. You know when he when he first broke through at Chelsea, he went he, was a, he came on loan for Munch and Gladbach playing Champions League, looking absolutely class, winning player of the year as well, at a Bundesliga team, comes into Chelsea, starts really well. Everyone thinks he's going to be world-class now. Um, it kind of uh, tailed off a little bit there, but you know, there's still potential in these guys. There's still hope that he could he could maybe reach a higher level than Rudiger. Um, so there's hope. But yeah, those are two areas, striker, centre-back. Um, and I think that what I'd like to see from Chelsea in terms of transfer policy, uh, you know, Liverpool have to, have to be an example for what to do. Like you said, they brought through some of their own players. They had space to bring players through, but then they sort of go, OK, like we're making a choice now. This is our weakness. Let's throw all our transfer budget on one or two players. Just absolutely nail down a really big superstar um, and maybe it's not, you know, Chelsea signed five players in 2017. They signed Zappa Costa, who I just criticised, Drinkwater, who we'd all criticised, Bakayoko, who we'd probably all criticise as well, who's going to leave the club, um, Murata, who failed, in my opinion, uh, and then Rudiger, who's done well. Um, so they, they shouldn't be doing those kind of transfers. And, and I think that, you know, if they're planning in sort of January for a sign in the summer, that's the right way to go. Um, and, and going big as well. Dream big. Go for the best possible player you can sign. Don't care about the money. Get him in um, and then sort of let the youth come through in the other spots because the youth is really good as they've already proved so far this season. Well, you've also seen, Dan, that, that the youth and, and you know combination of Frank, Jody, Joe uh, are bringing a lot of spirit to the team as well, right? It's, it's about kind of reestablishing who Chelsea are as a club. Uh, you know, and, and bringing that kind of, you know, kind of exposure to, you know, even a big signing, you know, let's say you go get a, a Mbappe or you go get, you know, someone, you know, big on the defensive side. When they come into the club, they should know immediately that it's a hungry club. The academy's coming for you and that there's a ton of competition. There's there's a winning spirit mentality here. And I've, I've loved that so far, even though uh, there's only been one win under Frank so far. Well, it's also about not becoming a feeder club to other clubs, right? We, you know, Frank talked about that when he came on board, that he wants players to come and want to play for Chelsea, not thinking about Chelsea as the next step before they go to someone like a Real Madrid or a Barcelona, that we really don't want to be you know, a tier underneath playing for the the elite within Europe. We want to be part of that elite within Europe once again and be a place that people see as their maybe they're a forever club that they want to be at, you know, for the majority of their career. And if you can convince someone like an Mbappe, like a Jaden Sancho, like other players, that this is the place and the, the proving ground to do that and a place that you can be at for 
your entire playing career, if you're a contributor, then we will have done so much in terms of rehabilitating the club's image, not just for supporters, you know, under Frank, not just for you know, the way that we're viewed in the Premier League with being able to actually grow youth talent, but in the way that players thinking about coming to Chelsea as a advantageous move, as a move that they want to make, Naz, I think that to me, again, it's just, there's so many things that can go right this season. If we rebuild this club as an identity, as a place where players want to come to play because they see it as a side that competes, that would that would be a, a, a monumental shift forward heading into you know a, a ability where we'll be able to sign players again. Yeah, I think so, and I think you're right. Yeah, the the atmosphere and the sort of perception of the club is really important when you're making those transfers. Um, I think that you know. Um, that's been too negative almost, you know, in recent seasons. If if Chelsea are competing with, say, Juventus for a signing, um, there might be a case that Juve are the positive side and Chelsea have got this negative narrative all, all surrounding them. And why would you come into that? And, you know, it's great. Um, the youth actually provide real positive narrative. You've got Mason Mount absolutely playing the shirt, loving it. Uh, so is Tammy Abraham. The dressing room, you know, you go into the Chelsea dressing room, these guys are really grateful. Uh, you go into the training ground, you watch a Frank Lampard training session, Tammy Abraham uh, is loving life. Uh, he's got a smile on his face. Um, and now, you know, if somebody like Jorginho, um, say, say he got miserable and was fed up and started bringing, bringing the mood down, then, you know, he kind of looks silly because there's, there's guys who are getting a shot loving life and then you've got this experienced head who costs 57 million and he might be complaining and it kind of looks dumb and it kind of looks you know it, it, you know these guys from the academy will always be grateful and they'll always show the way to be and they know what Chelsea's all about and now you bring another guy in from the outside and they'll look at these guys and they'll be like wow they love playing here I love playing here and it can be as simple as that that's what you know this mentality is team spirit it's very important I think Maybe that's something Chelsea have lacked in recent years and, and, and lost ever since John Terry left the club is that, you know, he had somebody who totally could identify the club, set the example, felt so comfortable uh, in those surroundings and just made everyone else feel more comfortable because you've got, you got to look at football and it can be an insecure world at the time. There's a guy trying to steal your spot. Um, there's also, you know, a manager might get sacked and you it, it screws over your game. So uh, th- those kind of things can happen to you anytime and you're really fearful um, and maybe you're scared of the media for whatever reason, you know, evil guys like me uh, writing bad stories about you. <laughs> uh, you know, there's all, these, there's all these things playing in your head, a lot of pressure as well, you know, to perform. Maybe fans turn on you. Um, and, and, and the fact that Lampard's creating this positive environment, a sort of safe haven from everything. You know, you hear the way he speaks. He's like, don't worry if you lose. Um, I, I'm, I'm really grateful you guys are doing your best, you know. It's, it's just a positive energy about the place, and that's that's so important. And I think that that will help attract good players, and, and the academy stars are part of that as well. Well, if you weren't excited for what comes for the remainder of this season and what can come afterwards in the coming summer, just listen to Naz's answer to that question right there and repeat multiple times throughout the season. We might have to come back to that and replay that clip in future episodes just as a good reminder if things do start to turn a little bit in the wrong direction for a moment. But we will get out of there on that one on a load of positivity. Naz, thank you again so much for joining yeah, us, giving us a ton of time on your Sunday uh, afternoon. We appreciate it. Yeah, you've got to enjoy the wins, guys. So stay positive, and it's great to spend time with you guys on a positive note because it could have easily been a bit of a downer. <laughs> well, beer, beer's it, it on us been. when we're in London, for sure. You know that. Loving it. Well. Yeah, we will look forward to uh, toasting, hopefully, uh, multiple Chelsea wins with you while we're over. And uh, 
But Nick, again, thank you as always. We know Brandon couldn't be here for the second part. Bit of a slacker. Yep. Uh, yep. Good talking, everyone. And we'll see you very soon. All right, Chelsea fans. On that, until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>